That's some shady shit. Bitch, I'm going to turn into Effie White. This is Dreamgirls, and I am telling you, I am not going. This is the Extra Hyper Great <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do it. This is yeah. the Extra Hot Grape Podcast, episode 71 for the week of May 25th, 2015. <laughs> I am Lady Holding Flags on Some Pink Letters, David T. Cole, and I'm here with underappreciated after show Sarah D. Bunting. More like the gold barf, am I right? Contoured catastrophe, Tara Ariana. I'm gonna blend it. And fundamental reader, Mark Blankenship. Oh, that's what you call your outfit today? <laughs> I wish there were a visual of that. <laughs> Hi, Mark. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back, Mark. Uh, Hello. Before we get into our lead topic, which is RuPaul's Drag Race, it's time for a tiny bit of site business. Like killing a unicorn was the phrase that doesn't pay. That was from Moomoo Chainsmoker, guessed by uh, Delwyn. Delwyn. And so Delwyn has offered us a new phrase that doesn't pay. Will you be the one who guesses it? If so, you get to pick the next phrase and you get an extra credit for your troubles. Uh, as we were talking about last week, uh, we are doing some user ads. 100 bucks for a business ad, 50 bucks for a personal ad. Uh, we have our first ad in. Yay! And that will start next week. If you are interested, just go to the site at previously.tv slash EHG hyphen ads, or just go to the nav bar under EHG and you'll find a link there and uh, buy your ad today. And Tara, our last piece of site business. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> what last In the last big episode when I announced that Sarah and I were doing a Beverly Hills 90210 podcast spinoff, uh, I stated that seasons one through six were streamable on Amazon Prime and then someone was like no they're not and I swear to god I went and looked and they were and in between the time that I looked and when I said that uh-huh. they got pulled uh-huh. so we will season one is still there two through six question mark so maybe they will be back up we can figure out what to do when and if that time comes the other option is that pop tv formerly the tv guide network still does show it so um, we can always coordinate with their schedule when and if. We will figure that out. Point is, watch season one. The rest we'll get to. And uh, while we're on corrections, uh, this is old, but I forgot to correct it last week, which is when we did the comeback with uh, Matt for the canon, uh, I said that the other comeback submission was inducted. It was not. No. In fact, the canon page was incorrect. So I've corrected that and I've corrected everything. Everything's correct. We're all correct. <laughs> Here we go. And now to Mark. Hello, Mark. Oh, why, hello. It's a pleasure to be back in the Blankenship chair. Oh, yeah. From so far away. You're just back from Australia. I was in Australia until Sunday, and I am still so jet-lagged that when I went to see a matinee of a musical on Wednesday, I missed large swaths of both Acts 1 and 2. (laughs) Really? And I know that there are those of you thinking, I would always be sleeping in a musical, but not me. Not you. Except for this week. Have you, has but that ever was, happened to you before that you've fallen asleep at a play? Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> there was one particularly terrible musical adaptation of High Fidelity that, oh. came, that came and went in about one second, like almost 10 years ago. Yeah. It was so terrible. And I'd had such a long day 
that I basically curled up and went to bed. <laughs> and my husband still talks about it to this day because it was really loud, that show, because uh-huh. they were trying to compensate for some deficiencies in storytelling, performance, and uh, score. Mm-hmm. And set. And, and set. And exactly. And honestly, <laughs> even the Twizzlers were kind of stale at the concession stand. <laughs> But even though it was so loud, I went ahead and slept through it. And to this day, he still talks about that being the most asleep he's ever seen anyone. <laughs> I fell asleep at a Peter Gabriel concert once. Wow. I mean, not because I was bored, just because I was up all night the night before, but I slept through like half an hour of it. Yeah. Well, that means so if you slept through half an hour, you only missed the outro of In Your Eyes. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I can, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I woke up in time for Biko. So, oh, you know, Gabriel well. Byrne. Yeah. <laughs> oh, All right. Because, RuPaul's Drag because. Race. Mark. Yes, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, of course, covers it every week for Previously.TV, except when he was in Australia when Joe Reed very ably uh, subbed for him. Um, so Mark, we're on the eve of the finale. We're in, just in between, we have a sort of a hammock week off while they do their little clip show, uh, slash recap of the season to date. So that's why we're recording this now. And then when the show returns, that'll be the finale. And so we know our top three, who is your pick? Who do you think is going to take it? Well, I, Ooh, okay. We there can are come so back many, to that. we can talk no, about no, the season I, as I, a whole. Talk, talk I, I actually out, feel like to talk, to answer your question, I do need to preface it a bit, <laughs> okay. and I'm going to do that. Please. Um, for those of you who have been reading my write-ups of the show, you know that I have felt that this was the first season, truly, in which there was no standout contestant. There was no Sharon. There was no Bianca. There were just a bunch of queens who were fine, but maybe no queen who was as bright as a comet streaking across the sky. And what it has demonstrated to me is that, like Project Runway or even Top Chef, the show itself and the structure of the show is so satisfying that it is still great TV, even if you don't have exceptional contestants uh, to work with. So this season for me has been one of... Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say there haven't been any great highs because there certainly in the back half of the season have been some episodes that I thought were sensational. But I feel like I have been more impressed by the challenges in terms of their design and, and than I have been in the performances within the challenges. There have been many parts of the season where I felt like the queens were not quite able to come up to the level of the excellent challenge that they were given. That said, as from the Snatch Game forward, I feel like this season has at least the queens who have remained have really stepped it up so that now I don't actually hate anyone. And Trip Payne and I have actually talked about this, that it's interesting to not be rooting for anyone, but it's also interesting to not be rooting against anyone. Roxy. Like Roxy, who was the worst ever. And and remains the worst. Literally the worst ever. And Fifi and whatever. (laughs) Um, But I would say that for me now, there is no one that I'm strongly hating, no one that I'm strongly loving. And of these final three, I... I feel pretty good about all of them. Do you feel like this is the right final three? Yes, I do. Okay. In fact, well, with the interesting, mm, I would have liked to see I, Katya in there. I was going to say, I think Katya. If Katya were there instead of one of the younger queens, mm-hmm. that would probably make me happier. Because I'm not really t- totally sure what the deal is with Violet. Like, yeah, Violet, I have to. Okay, yeah. Violet yeah. and Pearl seem very samey to me. Usually, yeah. there's like a there's a greater range of you know style and experience and stuff and to me they're like interchangeable 
Let's put it this way. I think the top five, which also included Kennedy, was correct. And I do wish that the top three were Ginger, Katya, and I'll say Pearl because, you know, she's brought it as much as she can. But of the remaining three, I know that people really hate Ginger because of what she does on Untucked. But I have been allowing myself not to watch Untucked this season. Thank God. So I have to say that I really like Ginger. I think she's very solid. I think she's funny. She's never um, in. She she bitches about dancing, but they always do. But in performance, she always delivers. She's very funny. She's a decent singer, and she would be the first big girl to ever win. So I think that Ginger would be my choice. And I have to say, especially because of her consistency, that she is going to actually be the winner this season. I think that's about right. I have been watching Untucked. Yeah, I tell am, us what happens, because I don't watch it either. Uh, well, that might be because they moved it to their YouTube channel, <laughs> and it's not even, they don't even have a separate lounge. It's literally backstage. It's a couple of, like, budge couches. <laughs> it's like, the bar is, like, plywood, no. sitting on, like, more plywood. It's in black and white. Oh, my like, God. Wait, you might be so- describing Daredevil's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I might be. Uh, I actually have never seen them together. Coincidence? He has a plywood bar. <laughs> yeah, I. It just is annoying because they used to just record all together, and if I really didn't have time, or I'd let a bunch of them like stack up on the DVR because I was out of town or whatever, I could like watch the untucked at the end, which I still do, even though I mean it is all on one channel. Right. There's no ads. It is separate, so I can do that if I need to catch up. But it's just so, like, it's just so sad because I think that Untucked is, um, I totally get people not wanting to watch it, and I don't think it's, like, necessary. But for me, it really gives more dimension to the experience of watching the show and also understanding drag in the, like, larger, uh, like, it's more, on Untucked, they're sort of more integrated with our our earth world Mm. so it's a (laughs) little easier to like understand like in the um context of the show being like built and put together what they're doing and in ginger's defense i think she is a shitster on untucked but i think she was told like you're the one with the best ability to do this and make it not seem completely well, and if there's any show Clunky. that is going to specifically go to a contestant and say, we need you to manufacture drama and not apologize for it, <laughs> yeah. this is the show. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't surprise me. And I'm a little surprised that the show doesn't just tell them to say in so many words, I was told by a PA to bring this up. Yeah, I mean, they may as well. obvious anyway. Exactly. Well, and it's like, yeah, and I think it's just, so that's what I've been hearing too, that Ginger stirs a lot of shit on Untucked. But then, you know... Alyssa and Coco clearly invented that whole feud that they had a few seasons ago, and now Alyssa's awesome, and every, she's had this like great transformation in the public imagination. Well, that part of the public imagination that even knows who she is, because she has proven herself in her online show to be quite charming. So, my she sus- had a video message for Kennedy a couple of untucked ago that mm. was very sweet, and it got them talking because, like, you don't necessarily within the confines of the show get as much information about who knew each other. From outside, mm-hmm. like the most recent Untucked, like Ginger and um, Kennedy were kind of teamed up to talk shit about the younger queens. And then on Untucked, they're talking about like, well, we both come out of the pageant world and that's like drag boot camp. And there's a you know bond there that we just don't think you get. And whether or not you agree with their looking down on the younger queens, I think Untucked gives you more information. 
So I would say that what we're talking about here also Don't points... Don't hate Logo. <laughs> <laughs> what we're talking about here also points to one of the underlying things that makes Drag Race still so satisfying. You are really continually getting an insight into a thriving subculture that most of us don't ever see. Even if you only watch the primary show, I still feel like I'm fascinated and delighted by drag culture. And the the, the way that the show has changed over the several seasons, the way, for instance, that trans politics in America have changed, and yeah. so the show mm-hmm. itself has evolved in the way that it addresses them, I feel like I'm watching a living culture and I feel like I've watched so much of this show that I slightly get to participate in it, although not much. And I, it's, it, there's this connection that I have that I don't have to any other show because I, where I feel like I'm part of something that's evolving and living. And I understand, for instance, that the fashion world has changed. But because the world of fashion is so much bigger than the world of drag, Project Runway does not create that same sense of intimacy that I feel when I watch this show. And it's like Sarah just said, a lot of these contestants have known each other before. And at the start of this season, one of, I can't remember now who it was, but one of the younger queens was already a huge fan of one of the older queens. And that happens every season. There's always one that, like, people at last season She's like, oh, you. Yeah. Yeah. People last season were big fans of Courtney Act before she showed up. And there's something really great about this minute culture that we get to observe so closely and it's so satisfying and that combined with the ongoing display of wit matched with sincerity never stops being exciting to me and i feel like going back to the challenge thing i was talking about that's where you've seen for me the brilliance of this season is in the execution of the challenges which which are both witty and sincere like the john waters challenge to me is mm-hmm. the perfect example of that because if you are someone who cares at all about queerness or drag or culture then john waters needs to have a place on your mantle and you need to you know kiss your hand and touch his portrait as you walk out the door so for rupaul to bring actual f- Effing John Waters on, pardon me, onto the show. That's, say the real there's word. no fucking cursing on Thank the show, you. Mark. Thank Jesus. you, girl. Um, but for John Waters to actually be on the show is this monumental event. But then for them to basically shit all over his legacy, literally and figuratively, and him to be into it, it's so That brilliant. was my favorite part is that he's just like, this is exactly why I do that. Like, he doesn't take himself seriously at no, all. No, no. I love that. And yeah. whenever they get a judge that's sort of like, doesn't get it that's also my favorite yes like when some judge is like like Alyssa milano was great but then who was on her panel that <laughs> who Rebecca was still Romaine? pregnant the forever pregnant Alyssa milano oh but that's God. neither here nor <laughs> so pregnant like the minute she's into the second trimester she is i mean she's so teeny that she like is. it just she's dwarfed by this but like how many womb it's like how many book. damn shows did Alyssa milano film during this pregnancy i mean it's, it's like every time i turn the channel there she is pregnant on some sort of tv show right anyway point being yeah but the judge when the judge is like yeah like is super excited but then doesn't like just doesn't understand what it is we do here uh nelson ellis would be a good example of yeah. that oh, god and why did they bring santino back the other week why i know sad and then they're all complaining about him on untucked which is i mean uh-huh. i'm telling you watch untucked well so for you guys what have you had standout challenges or standout contestants that have made you hook into this season i thought the siamese twin challenge was really clever i thought yes. that was that was a lot of fun that was a really smart way to do that twist 
And mm-hmm. even though, as we've said on the podcast, and you've said, and you wrote about it too, that 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 dismissed contestants should never come back. That was fun, like, and it it made them earn it. It wasn't just like they just got plucked back into the game. Um, it would have been really funny if Shangela had showed up, <laughs> <laughs> even if only to be like, just kidding, girl, and then yeah, leave. Totally. Yeah. But it let us know a little bit more about Tempest, for instance. Like yep. she and she had to work for it again, and yeah, it was nice. And she didn't stay long either. Or sorry, that was Trixie that got bounced, that got brought back in and bounced, right? <laughs> yeah. Ex- yes. So she, you know, she she had her shot, and then it was like, oh, we were right the first time, okay, bye, which is sort of, a, you know, a waste. But like t- that one, I thought Ginger was really great in too, and they had that outstanding lip sync at the end. Oh, brilliant! Like, oh, God, that was so funny. One of the best moments of the show. I, I also, I'm, I'm with you. I think Ginger's going to win, and I, I would be fine with it because I don't watch Untucked, and I, I just, I can, I live for the runway for her on the runway just so i can see how what faces she's gonna give she gives a great face she's got lots of really exaggerated expressions like she really works it she she puts on a, a show um yes so yeah i i like that but i just realized as we were talking about this they haven't done a they didn't this season do a give put do drag on straight guys challenge yeah like the unusual drag or like the non-drag queen drag challenge yeah, oh right drag, i always love that one drag daughters you know what might be you know what might be interesting though if they're looking to switch up the format a little bit might be um per what you were talking about earlier about um some queens knowing each other from beforehand that if you had pairs of drag mothers in there oh drag children yes Mm -hmm. i'd watch that as long as it didn't get too into um drag you territory right that was a little earnest oprah oh my god that was one of the best moments of this season when rupaul could not take a joke about drag you (laughs) i know i mean and i get it but no girl (laughs) girl that show wasn't good no please don't front yeah without raven it wouldn't have been shit you've seen one episode what are your thoughts (laughs) well i actually had a question and uh so ginger how how old is she 30s probably 30s yeah oh, okay. i don't know well, there's a point where she was um antagonizing the youngest violet yeah mm-hmm. and i was just wondering if there was like if there's like a generational divide there or like an experiential divide there just because it, it's sort of like you know when soldiers from world war ii you know in the 50s and 60s like you kids you don't know blah 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 because they were through the shit and some other you know the younger generation wasn't Drag is exactly like World War II in every way. <laughs> well, no, I was just wondering if like there's a divide between, you know, people that come up through the culture in a more accepting time versus an older guard where because there was a lot of like they talk about this sometimes. Yeah. They haven't really gotten into it explicitly this season, but they've talked about it before that it's like and they're not they're not resentful usually. Yeah. It mm-hmm. depends. Yeah, I think that it's more just you have to have paid your dues and there's always this narrative that the young ones haven't paid their dues. And like, that was one of the big things with Shangela on her first season that she had only been doing drag for nine months and Mm -hmm. what the hell. But you know, it's interesting. You talk about, have you fought the war? Sadly enough, uh, one of the things that seems consistent throughout the generations of all the Queens is that they all have, almost without exception, weird relationships with their families. Like yeah. Yeah. they all have been rejected by their families, even the young ones. So that's kind of a sad way that they all end up bonding. It seems like every time. Yeah. I think Pearl's story is some really crazy bleak 
Yeah, clearly. Foster system. Well, and Trixie said that she she created her name because her stepfather used to call her Trixie as an insult. While he was beating on her. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Let me ask you this. Is, are there, like, drag queens that continue to perform into their senior years? Are there senior drag queens? Or well, Lady it- Bunny's still doing it, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I think I, it's this is Quentin Crisp. I guess I don't know if you. Know that. That <laughs> I, don't know. I just more, I, I, that I think they like should have drag, they should have a, they should have a senior challenge. I mean, RuPaul's well, you know, got to be fifty. That is a good idea. RuPaul is certainly on the older side. There's also in New York, uh, Lipsinka is a queen who yeah. is still performing. Um, Hedda Lettuce is still I was performing. Say Hedda Lettuce. Hedda Lettuce. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh. I like that one. <laughs> oh, she's she's a legendary queen in these parts. Uh, yeah, so it'll you know that would actually be really interesting too. Someone, I, who was it? Someone in my life said that they would like to see a show. Oh, my friend Peter said they'd like to see a show called Drag Race Legends, mm-hmm. where it's just these really like established older queens yeah. who are too established to be on Drag Race, but they're kind of like a Top Chef Masters of yeah. drag with Lipsinka and Hedda Lettuce and Sherry Vine is another one who's uh, mm-hmm. pretty well known and have the Lady Bunny actually compete. I would watch that too. Amanda logo LaCour. get on it she's still around uh last thought uh while we talk about logo that new logo for logo is terrible if you're going to call your company <laughs> logo you should make sure you have a good logo and that one that looks like it's on the side of a mascara you know thing from maybelline i think it, it's from just, the same designer that made the logo the title card for younger on tv land as well it's <laughs> terrible and they should be ashamed of themselves It's time to go around the dial, and we're starting with Tara. Uh, I just want to talk briefly about The Bachelorette, first of all, because I've revived uh, dating show Crazy Face for this season of The Bachelorette. Brilliantly revived. (laughs) Thank you. Stephanie Green is doing our main coverage, and I'm sure we'll have her on soon to to talk about this season, but I watched the first episode where the, the twist is... There's two bachelorettes and the dudes get to vote. And I'm sure we talked about this when it was announced, but like that is such bullshit. It's so terrible to make like the one thing that makes the bachelorette superior to the bachelor completely not a part of it. And the guys still are making all the decisions in this one. But I'm sorry to tell you, if you were there for Brit, it's uh, it's not her. And I was surprised because when I was doing my dating show, Crazy Faces, she gave like maybe one crazy face. She was on it. She must have practiced so hard. <laughs> she was like a fembot. She had no bad angles. She just always looked great, looked like pleasant. And, you know, I'm sure it's the same training that people go through when they become a Well, stripper, here's why, but... Tara. Fembots <sighs> don't know how to love. No, I'm, 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 not, I'm not convinced that she isn't a fembot, literally. Like, she is so, <laughs> especially when we got to the point where someone was like, well, I used to be a minor league baseball player. And she was like, I love going to baseball games. Like, sure you do. <laughs> oh and then God. had to, like, even b- walk back that statement. Like, well, more for the social aspects. So, like, oh, you like going to things. You don't like baseball. I like hot dogs. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so it's going to be Caitlin, uh, the Canadian, which I mean, I, I guess that means I have to root for her, but I'm kind of not really. Wait, what part of Canada anyone. is she from? Let me guess. I Alberta. She, I think she's from BC. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Also, uh, I'm sorry that the guy that identified himself as an amateur sex coach, speaking of Canada, because he was also Canadian, he got he got bounced in the first episode. We'll never know what, what the am- hell an amateur sex coach well, is. Well, won't he eventually be elected mayor of Toronto? Then we can find out. <laughs> he did mm-hmm. kind of look like Rob Ford. He was like slim Rob Ford. Oxymoron. <laughs> That's it. 
Mark. All right. The other show that I'm currently covering for previously is Nurse Jackie, which is in its final season. And I just needed to come up in here and talk to you about how goddamn emotional that show is making me every week. <laughs> I have watched every episode of Nurse Jackie. And in fact, the, the premiere episode, uh, I watched it on a day that I got mugged in Park Slope, Brooklyn. So I've had this like weird emotional ride with this show from oh, the oh, jump. Wow. But this last season, the the show has gone through its ups and downs, but this last season to me has just been amazing. And I can't remember because I've been watching screeners, which episode has now been seen. Was it the strike episode? Six was the last one. So it was the the last episode that aired was the one after she took the flash drive. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just tell you that what what is coming in the next few weeks on this show is really continuing to masterfully underline the fact that there is a good Jackie and a bad Jackie and that the bad Jackie's actions are having increasingly resonant emotional ramifications within her community. And it's the, the delicacy with which all of the characters are being written in their response to Jackie's behavior is tearing me up, but in a way that I really like, and I I can't get enough. And Merritt Weaver continues to be my spirit animal, and I have—I feel like I've—I've I've not been this passionate about this show in the entire history of watching it. But this last season to me is really shaping up to be one of the best final seasons of a show I've ever seen. So if people quit it, they should get back on board. Hell yes, you could right. actually—if you quit, you could really pick up at the start of this new season, and they—you'll figure everything out, and you won't be sorry because honestly, this season almost works by itself as a as a 12 episode miniseries. I mean there's there's just so much packed into it, so much moral ambiguity. And the last thing I'll say is I've also been enjoying the way that the sense the concept of the anti-hero is being treated on this show as opposed to the way it's treated on other shows because Jackie is not intentionally trying to destroy the world around her in the way that a meth dealer or a mobster might be, but she is still, through her inability to take uh, accountability for her actions, causing so much damage. And the fact that it's happening from someone who is in many ways well-intentioned just makes it that much more devastating, but wonderful, like the good kind of the good kind of devastating. And that's what I have to say about that. All right. Uh, we had uh, Matt on a couple weeks ago, probably when you're in Australia, and he was talking about Nurse Jackie too. And he said one of the things that bothered him was that there didn't seem to be any real-world fuck-up consequences for Jackie's drug use, not to the uh, extent that you would expect. Like, it never really throws her into like just truly fucking up at the hospital or wherever. No, she still has her job. Yeah. He felt that that rang kind of false. What do you you think about that? I think that's a fair point. Given how long it takes the average real life hospital to catch an angel of death who's (laughs) killed like 143 fucking people in Morristown, New Jersey alone. Uh I don't watch the show, but I got to tell you that rings perfectly true to me. But (laughs) I'm killing people. But I would say that is a valid criticism. But I think that the show has, to me, earned the right to work on a more symbolic level. I think it's presented itself very strongly as a show that is trying to make some sort of argument as much as it is trying to, to show the way things really are. And I think that the ability of Jackie to keep sneaking back into systems and communities and hurting herself and them 
it feeds a larger point that the show is making. So I'm willing to suspend my disbelief in order to allow that sort of larger literary point almost to be made. Well, unlike Mark, I think drugs are bad. (laughs) Uh, Last week I asked for your submissions for some uh, delicious local ads, and uh, you came through. I've got one great one from a user, and we'll follow it up with one I found. First, we were going to go to, I believe, somewhere in New Jersey. When you're on the road, hunger strikes. There's only one place with a real low price. A quick way diner and restaurant in Bloomingburg. New York. For 24 hours on any day. Have a great meal and a pleasant stay at quick way diner and restaurant in Bloomingburg. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert, and a full bar to quench your thirst at quick way diner and restaurant in Bloomingburg. So take, take it from T, take it from B. The Quick Way Diner is the place to be. The Quick Way Diner and Restaurant, Group 17, K Exit 116, off the Quick Way. Yeah. Let's go. All right, so <laughs> the Quick Way Diner site is at teakandv.com. They don't even have quick, <laughs> quickwaydiner.com. And uh, the header graphic features the lyrics you just heard, oh, wow. which is kind of awesome. Also in the header, it says it was voted best diner, coffee, soup, and breakfast, but doesn't cite its sources. So <laughs> eh, I don't know. I looked it up on Yelp. It had three stars. So something's not clicking here. Uh, other things of note is they have a biker night, but all the pictures are broken, unfortunately, in that page. So Aww. we don't know what that was like. And Teak and V also seem to own Quickway uh, Exotic Auto. Which has a huge ad on the footer of every page of this diner site. It's Ooh. it's really weird. And uh, okay, here's another ad that I found also local to Halifax, Nova Scotia. If you're a person on the go, write down this number. It's the key to traveling quick. It's casino taxi's number. Four two nine six 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 six. Casino taxi, they're the fast ones. Casino taxi, near as your phone. No need to run, don't get wet, dial the number. 429 I like right at the end, they, they uh, slip in their second number. <laughs> it's pretty ballsy to call your taxi service uh, yeah. after a place where people go to lose their life savings in games of chance. Also, it seems like you're gambling with them. That's what I'm saying. Yes. That, yes. Uh, but and then there's 666. <laughs> I don't know. But, well, it's yeah, yeah, it's the Carmel... Uh, of uh, of Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. yeah. right? That's nope. Them? Yes. Yeah. yeah which is um, why I always took Tel Aviv, which was all <laughs> sevens. I may yeah, just you know that Casino Taxi is still in business. Oh. And also only has three stars on Yelp. So <laughs> there's our common theme. Sarah, take us home. Having finally become bearable in the back half of Law and Order SVU season sixteen. What better time, then, to write Danny Pino's Nick Amaro off the show entirely oh. in a bum's rush of a final scene that also managed to throw Elliot Stabler under the bus. That was the craziest part. Name. Yes. Yeah, her whole, like, that my relationship with my last partner, whatever that was, like, you know, if that was dysfunctional, that's kind of on you. I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he has to be reassigned. Weirdo. And also, like, you know... This isn't this isn't a bad thing. It's just a pity because I had hated the character and the actor's performance for a while, and then he really turned it around. And that episode about his dad, which I thought would be oh, yeah. the worst, was yeah. actually the best. Mm-hmm. Um, he's being written off. Who knows why? It'll make room for more Carisi, and I love Carisi like I love birthday cake Oreos, which is fun. <laughs> mm. Really? <laughs> so I'm I'm mm. excited. Yeah, well, I'm the one. Okay. So <laughs> I'm excited for more Carisi, but this is sort of a sort of a shame. 
I also hope, though, that we've seen the end of the Noah subplots for a while mm. now that he's safely Noah Benson and she yes. adopted him and maybe we don't have to have him, like, getting mm. shot at Seriously. and getting measles from stupid anti-vaxxers and stuff like that. Can and I- also just one final note on uh, one note on Stabler, too. We can all agree that Christopher Maloney's in a better place now that we've seen the press photos from the Wet Hot American Summer Series coming soon to Netflix. Cool. He does a full split across some uh, kitchen countertops at the camp. Nothing wrong with that. Can I, can mm-hmm. I ask you a question about what you're talking about, sir? Um, have you had Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Oreos? Because <laughs> uh, those no. are the shit. They're so good. <laughs> They taste like they it's, it's it's the actual branded item that tastes like what it's supposed to be. You, you know, sometimes you get those like it's peanut butter, it's Reese's peanut butter chips for your cookies, and it doesn't taste anything mm. like the kind of peanut butter. These ones taste like somebody put a Reese's peanut butter cup in between two sandwich uh, Oreo wafers. Dave is a real Excellent. evangelist about this product, and the ra- the way you can tell that they're better than other Oreos is that their package is much smaller. <laughs> yeah, limited edition. I found them at Target. If you have a Target in your area, go find them. You won't regret it. Oh, uh, one last thing before we leave around the dial. Uh, I forgot to thank TJ Mack for the Quickway Diner clip, and uh, keep them coming, because there's been some great ones submitted. <laughs> Well, it's been a while since we've had a tiny triumph. Mark Blankenship, I believe you are the one with today's tiny triumph. Why, yes, I am. And I thank you. I was in Australia, as you know, and while I was there, I had access to email because Australia, though far away, is not, in fact, a distant planet. And (laughs) while checking my email in Australia, I discovered that I passed the online Jeopardy test and have now been given a full in-person audition for the show next month, which I am so excited about and have basically now turned 40 to 46% of my waking consciousness towards studying (laughs) for this test. And uh, I'm going to be taking yet another short answer test and playing a simulated game and having an on-camera interview in which I think the point is that I prove I can speak like a human yeah. being on camera. <clears throat> now, this has been and, a long time coming, right? Because I remember as long as I've known you, you've been doing the online test. Oh, yes, child. I've been taking the <laughs> online test for as long as I can remember. At this point, I almost feel like I was taking it in utero. But I finally made it. And it is just my dream to be on a game show and to be on this game show. I mean, I've written about it for previously during game show week a few years yeah. ago. I really want to be on Jeopardy. And I'm so good closer now than we ever are, before. We are very proud of you and we want you to succeed. So in order to help make that happen, we have prepared <gasps> a single category. Oh God. For your delectation, Dave Trebek, please take it away. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, uh, welcome to uh, Studio City, uh, Hawaii. <laughs> Our single contestant for today's show is Mark Blankenship, sitting in the one and only podium, the Mark Blankenship podium. Mark, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself, Mark. Well, Dave, it's great to meet you. Oh, by the way, how I, do you like my mustache? I think it looks very natural and it's I can't full. even see the spirit gum. Thank you. 
Uh, I am so delighted to be here. I am originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee, but now I live in New York City, where I am the editor of TDF Stages, an online theater magazine. And you can find that at stages.tdf.org. And other than that, I am lucky enough to live with a great husband in one of the greatest cities in the world. Which is that? Which is New York City. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> is Elton John ever grabbed your face? Oh, you know, funny story. As I've been a theater journalist for about 10 years now, and I was fortunate enough to write a story once about Elton John's musical Billy Elliot coming to Broadway. And when I interviewed him, I was on the phone. And then the next day, I saw him again for a follow-up. And between our first and second interviews, I had actually seen a dress rehearsal of Billy Elliot. And when I when I met him in person, he got very nervous and said, how was the show? How, how was the second act? Did, did it make sense? And I said, oh, I thought it flowed really well. Then he grabbed my face and said, bless you, and <laughs> then kissed me on the forehead. And the wow. one I noticed is that he was wearing rings. Uh-huh. That cost more than my entire college and graduate education put Mark, together. are you sure you weren't talking to the Pope? <laughs> I have actually had to do some follow-up research, and I've looked closely at images of the Pope, and I am fairly certain it was not him. <laughs> uh, one more thing before we get to the questions. Um, you're talking about uh, TDF. Um, we worked on, me, you, Sarah, Tara, had nothing to do with it. No. On a site called, what's it called again? Dictionary? TDF Dictionary? Oh, yes. The Theater Dictionary. Yes. Ooh, yes. So the Theater Dictionary is a site that Dave helped design and that Sarah has starred in more than once. Mm -hmm. It's a series of short, funny films that define theater terms like strike or blocking or house left. And it's short. God Mike, which is actually premiering next week. And um, it's it it is uh, it's a passion project of mine. And we've got almost 100 films in it now. And artists from all over the country have contributed films, and it's meant to be both a reference tool for people who want to get more invested in the language of the theater, but also like a fun online thing that's entertaining. And uh, it's actually going to be featured on local ABC7 next Saturday, the 30th at 7 p.m. Second tiny triumph. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be, they came and interviewed me, and I get to be the news instead of report the news. (laughs) Whoa. Tiny triumph inception. Yeah. No, it's a a cool sight. And uh, knowing nothing about theater, um, even dumb guy Cole. Uh, really likes the uh, the videos. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Do 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 do. What's the category, tar- uh, Sarah? Uh, the category is baseball. Okay, Ooh, baseball. it's almost like this is a category I really need to study before I go on the show. <laughs> yeah, that's total coincidence. I assure you. Okay, Mark, uh, take it away. What uh, what question do you want? We are, we're in the two hundred four hundred round. Oh, so we've got two to two hundred to one thousand. That's right. We're in yes. single jeopardy. And it's just baseball or baseball history, you said? Just baseball. All right. Uh, Dave Trebek, I'll take baseball for 400. Baseball for 400. Banned for life cons- uh, for conspiring to throw the 1919 World Series, the most famous member of the Black Sox, who role in throwing the game is widely disputed, named his bla- bat Black Bet- Betsy, Black Betsy as a teenager. And remember, yes. and remember I-, I don't know if you know this about Jeopardy. Uh, answers in the form of a question. <laughs> oh, he's, he's making the buzzer motion. I no one can see this, yes. but it's quite quite adorable. Um, so we'll just assume that I've now rung in. Uh, I will say, who is Shoeless Joe Jackson? Yeah, four hundred. All right, you still okay. control the board, Mark. I'll take. <laughs> um, I, as I said in my Jeopardy etiquette, you want to just immediately keep the game rolling. So I will immediately take baseball for two hundred. Bob Fosse 
won a Tony in 1956 for choreographing this musical, one of seven the production racked up. What is, uh, ding, 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 what is Damn Yankees? Yay. You guys, I really am making the buzzer motion. Okay. He really is. What I'll take, uh, Jeopard, I'll take baseball, uh, Dave, for 600. The apartment complex built on the site of this stadium, which was demolished in 1960, was renamed the Jackie Robinson Apartments in 1972. What is Yankee Stadium? Can I guess? Yeah. What is Ebbets Field? Tara's uh. got 600 points. It's a tie game. <laughs> Oh, no, there was okay. somebody next to you. All right, Tara, you got control of the board. Oh, no. No, I'll get back to Mark. <laughs> All right, Mark, no podium, 800 or 1,000. You control the board. Um, I'm going to. Tara has graciously seated the game back to me. It's a little known it's Jeopardy very rule. Unorthodox. Wait, so Ebbets Field was for the team. Bro- Brooklyn Dodgers. The Brooklyn Dodgers. Okay, I was in the right city, wrong team. I'm just making notes because I'm going to have to study this later. If you climb up on the roof of the building we are in right now, you can see Charles Ebbett's final reti- resting place. <laughs> or rotting place, yes. as you just said. That, I think he's boop, fully boop, boop. rotted. Alright, time's running out. We're going to do a final oh, I'll take, spin, I'll take, okay, spin I'll take of the baseball wheel. For a thousand, baseball for a thousand, please. <laughs> Alright, each correct answer is worth either 800 or a thousand points. A thousand. I'll take baseball for a thousand. You're guaranteed to have the time of your life with this classic team fight song, which has appeared on Seinfeld, Everybody Loves Raymond, and an WFMU compilation called Yola Tango is Murdering the Classics. Wow. Yola Tango is Murdering the Classics. Ooh, good question, Sarah. Um, What is... I know this is wrong, but what is take me out to the ball game? Mm. Is it meet the Mets? <laughs> it's meet the Mets. Wow. I don't even know what that is. All right. Okay. <laughs> Last question, Mark, for 800. The top yes. 10 all-time strikeout leaders list includes a big train, Walter Johnson, and a big unit. This four-time and this four-time Cy Young winner with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Dave messed up the reading of this. So just to clarify, the, what we're looking for is the real name of the player known as the Big Unit. Yes. Oh, I is see. He, yes. And he was on the he's on the Arizona Diamondbacks. Big Unit. Yes. This four-time Cy Young winner. Oh with the God! Arizona so Diamondbacks. Current. That's a relatively current player. So I can either confirm or deny that. <laughs> I'm going to say. Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson. So that um, means Mark Blankenship, Tara Ariano, you are the winner. Tara. <laughs> <laughs> A quick question for Sarah before we get into the canon. Yes. Sarah, have you fallen in love with me all over again? I have. Going three baseball Meet facts. The Mets. Meet the Mets. Come on out and greet the Mets. Really? No. And I guaranteed to have the time of your life. I just wanted to uh, make sure everyone noted that that was in the construction of the question. I'm the best. Next. You are. Yes. And, Mark, but are you, you talk- sure you live in New York? Yeah, I know. Well, look, they always. I'll get the theater questions right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi there, Patrick here with another extra hot great canon submission. This is Rocco's Modern Life, Season 5, Episode 4, Wacky Deli. While it never hit as big as other cartoons from Nicktoons Golden Age like Doug, Rugrats, or even Catdog, Rocco's Modern Life seems strangely emblematic of an aesthetic of the early 90s. Many of the writers and animators in this episode would go on to work on other projects. 
but nowhere is their legacy and influence seen as much as in this episode. A rare case of a Nicktoons show telling a single story in one episode, Wacky Deli is a great snapshot of Gen X Nicktoons at the height and a clever satire of the post-Simpsons animation gold rush of the mid-90s. As we enter into another golden age of animated television, it's cool to look back on this episode as a fable of artistic intent. Episode centers on Ralph Bighead, the comically stereotypical Gen X son of constant Rocco nemesis Ed Bighead. Ralph is looking forward to getting out of his contract for producing a TV show called The Fatheads, blunt, dystopian, animated sitcom drawn from his own life. Dissatisfied with the merit of the show, Bighead is looking forward to creating the world's largest still life, or as he calls it, real art. When he's informed that he owes the studio one more show, Ralph hatches a producer's-esque plan to get Rocco and his friends to produce a cartoon so dumb and horrible that Ralph will have to be let out of his contract. The resulting show is Wacky Deli. Creating an idea for an animated show must be so easy. Oh, Hef, you know nothing about it. No, really, I'll show you. It could be about, uh, hmm, Deli Meats. Hello, Mr. Baloney. <gasps> Look out for Mr. Butcher Life. No, get away from me. Ah! <laughs> hey, Home Slice. Hef, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Cut to a montage of Rocco and his friends trying to put a show together about talking deli meats, despite the fact that they have no experience in animation or show running. Almost immediately, Filbert and Heffer express creative differences, which escalate throughout the episode. Rocco ends up doing most of the work, and the resulting animation is a surrealist nightmarescape falling somewhere between a Louise Bunuel film and abused child's cry for help. Cartoons are crude and incompetent. Director Joe Murray inserted into this episode still shots of meatloaf and other vile-looking live-action foods to give the sequence an upsettingly Dada's vibe. I am the cheese. I am the best character on the show. I am better than both the salami and the bologna combined. Hello? I am the best character on the... The meatloaf should be spongy, yet firm. Salami, better than the bologna, be better than the bologna. Embrace it. So, what'd you think? We love it! To Ralph's horror, but not our surprise, Wacky Deli is an instant hit and picked up to series. Ralph begins to work to sabotage the show in increasingly comic manners, including a death ray to create a flood which inadvertently floods every movie studio except for the one making Wacky Deli. When Ralph finally snaps, Rocco convinces him to use Wacky Deli as a vehicle for his ambitious good art. Predictably, Audiences reject this. The show is canceled, and Ralph retreats into a Bill Waterston-esque exile where he creates the aforementioned world's largest still life, only to be told by a passerby that it wasn't as good as Wacky Deli. Now, what makes this episode canon material is not just the cleverness of the self-reflexivity and the fact that it does it without winking. What makes this so cool is that Murray manages to load the episode with veiled references to Ren and Stimpy, to which Rocco has been compared unfavorably over the years. And 
Even the Mayo sequence feels strangely reminiscent of Log. However, these allusions are made in a way that seems organic to the story being told. Several very 90s references to the role of cartoons in corrupt... AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! Americans' youth seem to reflect the cultural paranoia of the moment. Scenes sending up writer's room squabbles, while hardly original, work in the context of a piece of art being consumed by 8- to 12-year-olds, and the line, Do we really need the cheese at all? perfectly nails the passive-aggressive banter of comedy writers. At the heart, this is a fable about the perils of artistic expression. This is listed as by many as the best episode of the show, Joe Murray's favorite, and it shows. You see a artist expressing his frustration with having his legacy being defined by a piece of so-called low art. Thirty years after Manny Farber created the term termite art, this aesthetic conversation still continues. Ultimately, Murray was right about worrying about Rocco being his legacy. He had a few more projects after this, but Rocco's still his defining contribution to culture. This episode's also a weird swan song that perfectly matched the time and space, a weird bridge between the subversive nihilism of early 90s Gen X culture and the coming storm of millennialist Dadaism and outsider art. You're seeing an artist simultaneously send up the cultural success of things such as Ren and Stimpy while also predicting the emergence of Dadaism as the mode of youth culture by at least a decade. In closing, I'd argue that whether or not this is aged well is irrelevant to its submission to the canon because this is about the time. I ask you to turn off that part of your brain that rolls your eyes at the credit sequence of the X-Files and judge this episode on the merits of its moment having a salami at the Wacky Deli. Thank you very much for the submission. Um, very thoughtfully done. I'm I'm sorry for what's, uh, I think, about to happen here. Um, I will say, I will say, 
It is always nice, and I, I do mean this sincerely, it is great when someone can speak so passionately about Absolutely. a piece of culture that moves them and yes. Yes. who can find things that, that resonate and who can make very compelling arguments, even I if am, I do not agree. I am about to do the same in a rather <laughs> different vein. This is everything I hate about sitcoms, uh, actually. I could see everything coming miles in advance. It felt very strained. It felt like it was telling instead of showing. It should have been a third the length. Um, I did laugh at the sort of initial like proof of concept cartoon and just that like the deli meats just randomly like pooching in across the screen <laughs> at these random angles and... I, like occasionally there would be like this bit of slapsticky cheap comedy that I would laugh at like in this knee jerk way, but I think this submission comes from a place of nostalgia, which I respect, and different tastes, which I also respect. But this is an absolute no for me. It was difficult for me to even get to the end, Mark. I sense you do not disagree with my assessment. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, I do not disagree with you. Uh, along with all of the points that Sarah makes, which I agree with, I would have to add that for me, I actually, despite not quite being young enough for these cartoons, did watch some Nicktoons cartoons. I watched Doug. I watched The Rugrats, and later on I watched The Fairly Odd Parents. And to me, all of those shows are vastly superior to what I watched here because unlike this show, they don't, A, telegraph the end from the beginning, but they also couch their satirical insight in something that resembles uh, authentic characterization. And I feel like, for me, this was the only episode of this show I've ever seen, but I couldn't there was no none of these characters existed to do anything other than service the simple joke at the middle of the of the of the story like there was nothing about them that existed beyond the fact that he needed to that the creator needed to make his ham-fisted point and i feel like that to compare this show against ham-fisted sh- well done thank you <laughs> but uh, to compare ham-fisted i assume Exactly. No, not even imitation boar's head. But, you know, to compare this show to something like The Fairly Odd Parents, which is also incredibly surreal, incredibly subversive, but also rooted in characters who actually have lives and things to do beyond make the metaphor, make the point of the day, is it, it makes Rocco's modern life, at least here, very weak by comparison. And I also think that Again, I appreciate the the Patrick's arguments about this the uniqueness of this show, but then I kept hearing as he was talking about it, he would say things like to Ralph's horror but not our surprise. Predictably, audiences reject this. And yeah, when everything is so obvious that you have to apologize for it in advance, I think that's a problem. And I would also say this, if this show is not enough of its moment because it, it, let me put it let me back up. For Sarah to have to use Poochie to describe what's happening here <laughs> just proves that this show hasn't succeeded in doing anything fresh. All it has done is cheaply imitate The Simpsons or any other number of shows that existed at this time. Ren and Stimpy as well, as was mentioned. But it also made me think about when I want a critique of the way that culture works in Hollywood or whatever Give me the critic episode of The Simpsons, for instance, where there's something really thoughtful and surprising being said where I can't see what's coming a thousand miles away. And oh, also that episode of The Simpsons aired like five years before this. So for me, across the board, 
straight up no. It was like Sarah almost more than I could take to get through the 20 minutes that I watched. Oh, it was bad. And when we got to the halfway point, I was like, there's still half of as much of this to go. Like, I really thought it was going to be I over. Know. Me too. It I was really so was watching the clock. unbearable to watch. It's so, it's so um, relentless. Like, Dave, at a certain point, yes. was like, that music is never going to stop. And it doesn't. It's just like there's bedding music <laughs> underneath the entire episode that is does never and the never mix is weird it's loud it's really weird yeah. and and on top of all the other like story problems and like i even if you say this is for kids it's not for you like what kid would be entertained not by me. this story I was thinking of contractual about obligations like <laughs> i know no, that's not funny to a kid um and even <laughs> I, I also got the sense that this was like a and it's also like oh go ahead i just want to be like and also like what kid is that interested in a bitter artist's rage right Frankly, yeah, none of nobody. it makes none no of kid. it is for kids, and 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 I got the sense that like this was not a really typical episode. Like Rocco is the titular character is not really even in it as much. I mean, he's definitely hardly the protagonist as much as the Ralph Bighead, I guess, or whatever the the animator, the artist. But this doesn't make me want to discover what the show was normally about at all. No, so. Um, again, I, I really appreciate the thought that went into Patrick's argument. It's clear that he feels this strongly, but this was not my jam at all. This is my possibly the easiest choice (laughs) and my least favorite like thing that's ever passed through the canon. Um, uh, there is an episode of Futurama where, uh, Zoiberg is contacted by his sort of long lost uncle. Oh yeah. Who is a silent, you know, the equivalent of a silent film director, and he gets his shot at making a new film with Calculon. Harold. Harold Zoid. Yeah. Voiced by Hank Azaria, guest star on that episode. And his direction style is basically the same as the guy who made this, which is he's always telling actors, what are you doing back there? You're not doing enough. Wave your arms for no reason and all this sort of stuff. And by the time they actually show the footage, there's people running in the background for no reason, screaming. And this this is this is basically that brought to life. It is like it's just like it's it's some sort of ADD like styled for people with attention deficit disorder. Like yeah. let's throw everything at the screen and in the soundtrack at once and it's crazy. Oh, and it's unpleasant to listen to. Like I'm that is. weirdo who like South Park exists on a frequency that I I find right. really like I It'll make me pee. Like, I just yeah. can't. I don't know why. <laughs> this is like that. Like, especially the cheese voicing character. I would just have to, like, hit the mute yeah. on my laptop. I was like, this is... <laughs> I, my head's going to literally explode. There's some Here, vibration happening. Yeah. And, and the irony is, within the show, the fat heads, there's, like, a thing about... Well, I, I got the clip. This is, like, the show within a show. Oh, no. <laughs> will you lower your voice? You lower your voice! I will when you lower your voice! Lower your voice! So imagine that for like a half an hour, yeah. and that's sort of like the auditory experience of of going through no. the show. It uh, also looks terrible. A couple other notes, you know? Oh yeah, the uh, theme totally phoned in, which it kind of cracked me up. So they just got the B-52s on the phone. Just, and that just goes on. It's repeated like four times. And that's the theme. So, you know, like uh, 
Kate whatever will sing and Fred will come in there. And here's the title of the show. Uh, <laughs> like he literally was in line at Subway when he was recording. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what were you going to say, Mark? I just also hearing this back, it reminds me one of the things I really hated about this, too, was that it clearly was just coming from this guy's disgust. And that is not funny, enlightening, entertaining, or clever to just be disgusted. That's bad news for this canon canon <laughs> argument. <laughs> and I, you know, the, the, all of the the the, the shouting and the, the 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 but the shouting of the characters and the bluntness of the arguments. You only make arguments that blunt because you're so disgusted and you think no one around you is smart enough to understand you. So you just make the the crudest points and and as i'm sitting here i just keep thinking well like meanwhile you've got the animaniacs which ran for seasons and was wonderful and managed to make all of these points in a much more clever way that seemed to have more to offer than just disgust and then you've got tiny tunes which did the same thing and to some extent too you've got the powerpuff girls movie which was all about this kind of stuff too it's just like Come on, girl. If you, I mean, it just what it really makes me want to go do is watch other cartoons from the '90s yeah. and remember that they were better than this. Totally. I, yeah, all the talk of Red and Stimpy, and there's a reason why the show is compared unfavorably to Red and Stimpy. If you're going to do stupid shit, Red and Stimpy did it much better. There was actually like you know what the fuck moments that were actually kind of genuinely funny. Oh, chicken, chicken pot the pie, and all that. Um, so I would take Red <laughs> Don't and Stimpy. Don't whiz on over. the electric fence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Cucarotas and Tron, pero no pueden salir. <laughs> totally agree. I would, it kind of made me want to go back and watch some 90 cartoons that are not this. All right. I think we've said our piece. Yep. Uh, let's put this to a vote. Tara. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Mark. Uh, no. <laughs> Sarah. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> but thank you for the submission. Thank you very much. <laughs> but we still like you. <laughs> oh. Rocco's Modern Life. Season 5, Episode 4, and perhaps also 5, Wacky Deli, D-E-L-L-Y. You are hereby denied entry into the Extra Hawker Cayman. And now a recording of the submitter after hearing that. You cretins! (laughs) You don't know what art is! I'll show you! Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. <laughs> it's, time. <laughs> it's time for winner and loser of the week. Tara has our winner. Uh, to Pete for Mindy Kaling, just last in the last episode, she was the winner because the Mindy Project got picked up to Hulu for a super size season. Now she is back in the winner's column because she's going to be paid $7.5 million, or half of $7.5 million, to write a book with BJ Novak about their weird relationship. Which I don't care to read. I'm a I'm a fan of hers, but that sounds like Wait, what's some their weird relationship? They've like dated on and off. Oh. They work together, they're friends. Okay. To shrug. Um Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. I assume there are people who will read it. That certainly is a very large advance, but I th- think we all agree that the couple that should be writing a book about their weird relationship is me and Sarah. And it's called Our Skype I Am History. <laughs> anyway, good for her, I guess. I will not be partaking. And loser of the um, Nicholas Brendan, who now has four arrests for drunken disorderly in the past uh, seven months. Uh, three of them are in the last two months, I believe. Um, apparently something has gone terribly wrong with Xander from Buffy. And I don't know what it is, but... 
someone in his life needs. Is to there a murderer take behind you to rehab? What <laughs> did a murderer come into your house behind you and is slowly He's disrobing? Uh, no. Heard oh, no, door. that was me trying to sneak back quietly from the bathroom. <laughs> Classic blank and shit. <laughs> I know. Mark, uh, I have a question about that. Uh, do you know what time it is? Wait, game w- time? did I interrupt Sarah? Did she? Did you even get to finish your... She did. Nicholas Brennan has a substance abuse problem. Someone in his life fix it. Do it's I game know time. What time it is? It's game it's time. time. <laughs> <laughs> it's cocktail hour, bitches. Oh, this, please, please stop doing that. Okay, I'm sorry, I will. Uh, this is the sixth game time of the season. Sarah is in first place with three points. Woo. Yep, yep. Tara has one. Value guess, represented by Mark Blankenship this week. Tied yep, at yep. one. Tied at one. Today we are playing... These are the days I know, I know. These are the days I know. From recent... From the state? What? Oh, sorry. What? Oh my god. Get out. Boo. Today we are playing. These are the days I know when These are the days I know. From recent unsuccessful canon submitter Patrick Felton. <laughs> <laughs> and in honor of the kids in the hall finishing their mini tour we present this week's game. That's time. right. For his Damn. trouble, Patrick gets another extra credit. Ching. Redeemable for an extra hot, great mini topic of his choosing. No hints in this game, folks. Each question will describe a Dave or David. Name the Dave or David based on the description. Okay. Right? Yep. A reminder that some of them are Davids, but most of them are Daves. Point of order. Are any of them last name David? Some are straightforward. Others are a bit trickier. Okay. There are 54 oh. questions today, and a right answer also scores you a bonus Dave point. <laughs> Let's see who's going to go first. So they're all just worth two, basically. We'll start with Tara. No, they're Dave worth one apiece, and Dave point is separate. Collected separately. You don't no. listen to the show, do you, Mark? Okay, I'm up. I'm me first, and then who? Then they go to Sarah, and then to Mark. Okay. All right. Yes. Are we ready to play? These are the days I know. I know. These are the days I know. All right. Round one, starting with Tara. Yep. These are all known as Dave. In addition. To the number of very strange sketches he brewed, this Canadian Dave's list of celebrity impersonations include Liberace, Lee Iacocca, and uh, uh, lost my place, and uh, Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Oh, God. Patrick hates you. Um, what? I said that right. I looked it up. I went on YouTube. I listened to how they say it. Solzhenitsyn. Okay. Is it Dave Thomas? That is good for one point, and of course, one additional day point. All right. To Sarah. Yep. In addition to appearing in over 800 commercials, this Dave had a guest appearance in the 1994 $6 million man reunion special Bionic Ever After. (laughs) Appeared in 800 commercials and a $6 million man reunion special. That's also Dave Thomas, no? The other Dave Thomas, correct. Oh, Wendy's Dave, Dave Thomas. Thomas. Yes. Sure. <clears throat> Mark, 
You ought yeah. to know this Dave from his stint on TGIF television during the early 90s. Oh, cut it out. It's Dave Coulier. <laughs> One point apiece. Tie game so far. Back to Tara. Yep. This Dave's top 10 IMDb credits include executive producer on Bonnie, Ed, and Everybody Loves Raymond. David Letterman. Correct. To Sarah. This Yo. is the only Dave on this list who is referred to in the original Dave's I Know song. These are the Dave's I Know, I Know. These are the Dave's I Know. That's that song. Only Dave... Dave Foley? Correct. Mark. This yes. insomniac returned to series television in 2011 by inviting his friends to watch porn with him. I have no idea. Mm. Sorry, I bet you know. I do. Dave Attell. Yes, Dave Attell. He had a seen outside our hotel oh, right. in Portland. Yes. And he had a show called... Insomniac. Was it just called Insomniac? Okay. And this yeah. one is called Dave's Old Porn. <laughs> All right, back to Tara. Yep. While this Dave got to play himself on the autobiographical Marin, fans are still perplexed about the end of his podcast, Walking the Room. Oh, uh, Dave Anthony, right? Correct. Sarah, this Dave's yep. world got a lot more complicated with the release of his airplane terrorism comedy, Big Trouble, uh, released in late September 2001. This Dave's world got a lot more complicated. The release of his airplane terrorism comedy, Big Trouble, released in September 2001. Oh... Yeah, Dave Benson. Oh, oh so close. That was close. <laughs> Dave Barry. Dave Barry. Remember that guy? Nope. Nope. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark. <laughs> Even though the Partridge yes. family will always consider him a rube, this Dave was one of the hippest performers on Rowan and Martin's Laughing. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. David Cassidy. Incorrect. Dave Madden. Dave Madden. Mm. Oh, okay. right. Was he Reuben? Rube yep. in Kincaid. Oh, I get it. I know, but I, I was never going to get that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. All right, Tara. <laughs> yeah. Even though he didn't get the Late Late Show, this Dave parlayed a career as MTV's Hey, It's That Guy and currently hosts the International Waters Part Podcast on the Max Fun Network, a show that, Tara, you may remember, we were both on. <laughs> Uh, it's our friend Dave Holmes. It is Dave Holmes. That is correct. All right, to Sarah. In yep. an episode of the Larry Sanders Show, Phil's pilot is retooled by the network for this Dave. Uh, Dave. Uh, Belushi. <clears throat> Incorrect. Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. Oh. All right, bring us into our first score break in the end of round one for Mark. Along with his brother James, a 2012 issue of Shalom Life listed this Scrubs intern as number two on the list of the 50 most talented, intelligent, funny, and gorgeous Jewish men in the world. David Krumholtz? No, I know that's wrong. I love that answer. It's a good answer, though. Good is that guess. Your, is that your answer? Because it sound, you sounded... Yeah. Dave Franco. Dave Franco. Oh, damn it. 
All yes. right, that was 12 questions in. Our first round is over. Let's hear the scores. Mark has one. Sarah has two. I have four. All right. Close Still game. Lots of game to play. Oh, my goodness. Is there ever. Round two. Some of them are <laughs> Davids. Some of them are Davids. Okay. All these Davids are TV auteurs. Okay. Fortar. Auteurs. Yep. Yes. Yep. 30 different actors and actresses have won Emmy Awards from shows that this David either wrote or produced. Oh, God. It could be one or the other. I'm going to just guess David E. Kelly. (laughs) Wow. Sarah. In 1985, this future Oscar nominee created a commercial for the American Cancer Society featuring a computer-generated fetus smoking a cigarette. Oh, my God. (laughs) So horrible, it made me snort. <laughs> D- uh, David Milch. Is it David Fincher? I think it I is. know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was who? David, David Fincher. Fincher. Oh, all right, Mark. I always forget his first name is David. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> In 1990, Mark, this David directed uh-huh. what? Ha- what? <clears throat> In 1990, this David directed what has to be the strangest Cadbury caramel bar ad ever. Here we go. Have you come to your senses? Will you give us the caramel secret? I never would have believed I'd reveal how Cadbury gets the soft flowing caramel inside the caramel bar. He wakes up, startled, goes to his high-tech lair, looks up, trying to find the disc on which the data is contained. Have you come to your senses? Will you give us the caramel secret? All right. Can I so, get David? Which David directed that ad? Yes, Tar. David Lynch. I was going to ask no. if I could give Mark the clue, which is that caramel is a Canadian chocolate bar. Do you want to guess again? Oh. Knowing that, uh, David Cronenberg. <laughs> Good. We'll give you that point. Now, point of y- order. Yes. The strangest Cadbury caramel bar is not that ad, but this one. So you gentlemen want the secret of how Cadbury gets the soft, creamy caramel inside the chocolatey pockets of the caramel bar. Yes, we know you have it, and my people are prepared to pay... 50 million. Not enough. 75 million for the caramel secret. Not enough. 100 million. Tops. Sorry. I'm willing to pay... Anything. Anything. Guys, it was the devil. It was the devil. The devil's the one with the caramel secret. If you would like to know more about caramel, you can buy them as caramellos in America. And uh, mm. that also is now giving me my new favorite drop, which is the devil saying sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back to Tara. Yep. It's been nine years since his last feature film came out. But he's kept himself busy with short videos, including I Touched the Red Button and a recurring role on The Cleveland Show. Um, yeah. Gonna need an answer. This is wrong, Sorry. but David Milch? Not right. David Lynch. Oh. David Lynch. All right, number 17. Ready to go. Ready to go. In addition to the many accolades in his throne room, this David 
is Dave. My apologies. Also wrote an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Wow. In addition to the many accolades in his throne room, this Dave also wrote an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm, throne room. Hmm. I, I don't, I don't know. Dave Balls. Sorry. <laughs> That's David. I'm probably not saying this right. Uh, Benioff. Benioff. Yeah. Benioff. Yeah. From Game of Thrones. AKA Never Mr. Done. Amanda Pete. All right. Bring us into our second score break. Mark. This TV scribe. Oh, no. This TV scribe has had a lot of luck over the years, despite an infamous 10-day diversion with a man from the Skyline City. Is it David Chase? Mm, fuck. That is David Minch. Milch. 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 Oh, Minch. Damn it. Add it nice to your guy. list, people who are making no, lists of names no, Dave can't no, say to make no, him say that. No, don't do that. That's a, that's, that's a mistake. Do it. <laughs> All right. Mark has two, Sarah has two, I have five. All right, that was number 18, so plenty of game to go. We're back to Tara. Okay. This Oscar-nominated David has narrated three of the American Masters series and gave voice to J. Robert Oppenheimer in an episode of The American Experience. Uh, is it David Strathairn? Tara, it is. Back to Sarah. A native of Morgantown, West Virginia, this David had a cameo appearance in 2012's Dark Shadows. I assume there's supposed to be an S on that. Sarah. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I'm here. All right. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of all the many people I know from Morgantown. Uh, Can I hear the clue again, please? You can a native of Morgantown, West Virginia, this David had a cameo appearance in 2012's Dark Shadows, the, mo- the movie. The movie. Uh, ooh, uh, 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 David Milch. <laughs> <laughs> David Selby. Uh, guy's name is ooh, David the Selby. Is that? Was yeah. he the original yeah. Barnaby or something? Hmm. Don't. Mm. These are not the Daves I know. No, <laughs> apparently right. not. Mark, do you know this Dave? This David will be playing Robert Kardashian in an upcoming miniseries about the O.J. Simpson trial. Pictures just hit the internet today. <sighs> David Hasselhoff. Oh, if only. <laughs> Tara. David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer is correct. All right, back to Tara. Yep. After an unprecedented... After unprecedented success in the mid to late 90s, this David hit a roadblock, 2004-2007, with the one-two punch of Joey and the class. Thankfully, he's still writing television episodes. Oh. This David hit a roadblock with Joey and the class. Oh, David Crane, right? Yes. Correct. Episodes. Okay. Sarah. In the season six premiere of Friends, the cast paid tribute to this David by adopting his last name in the opening credits. Cassidy. I actually know this one. Mark. It's David Arquette. Correct. Correct. All right. To Mark. Improbably, this 1960s folk rocker had a recurring role as Chester on the John Larroquette show. Free hint. 
think back in your head to all the memories of the John Larroquette show. (laughs) (laughs) I watched that show, actually. Uh, David Crosby. Nice. Good point. Back to Tara. Yep. This David is currently in production for the Netflix show Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, David Wayne? David Hyde Pierce. Hmm. David Hyde Pierce. Okay. Although David David Wayne Wayne is also in production for that show. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. He may not be involved. Sarah, in the 2005 TV film, the court, the... Uh, quartermass experiment. I'm going to say that's probably quartermass experiment, but yeah. everything's spelt wrong, including experiment. So I don't know if that's uh, what's going on there. This David is credited with playing Dr. Gordon uh, Briscoe, but because he's more famous for paying, playing, oh my God, this thing is so, okay. I'm going to reread this in what I think is the way it should be read. In the 2005 TV film, the quartermass experiment, this David is credited with playing Dr. Gordon Briscoe, but he's more famous for playing a different doctor. Hmm. He's more famous for playing a different doctor. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, uh, the, qu- the quarter mass experiment. It's qu- quarter I, mass or it's qu- quarter mass. But quarter, quarter main. Yeah. Um, David uh, Keith. David Tennant, Dr. Who, Dr. Who. All right, Mark. Yes. In a 1997 episode of the Tenacious D television program, this David was billed as comic dressed as nun. David Keckner. David Cross. David Cross. Last question for Tara before the score break. Yes. Perhaps this David had the best critique of Ricky Gervais to date when he penned the lyrics, pathetic little fat man, no one's fucking laughing, the clown that no one laughs at, they all just wish he'd die in an episode of Extras. David Bowie. Correct. All right, Sarah. This David played Angel's father in 2005's Angel, which created an existential crisis when he was hired to play a character named Angel... Although, when we can assume they are pronounced differently. Mm. This David played Angel's father, that's in quotations, in 2005's Angel, which created an existential crisis when he was hired to play a character named Angel, although we can assume they were pronounced differently. (sighs) David uh, Estrada. David Zayas. Zayas. Oh, okay. Isn't he on Gotham now? Yes. I think so. Yes. All right, Mark. Taking us into our score break. Question number 30. In 1992, this former child star left a career in one of television's most successful sitcoms to become rapper Little D. (laughs) Man, that is so perfect and so apt. What year? You would not believe the look I'm getting right now. 1992. Okay. Okay. All I can think of is David Green, and I know that's not right. But you're in the ballpark. Uh, you're you're like you're thinking right. Uh, di- I, oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm I don't know. Anybody? Is it David Faustino? It is David Faustino. Oh, gross. <laughs> 
Was that gross for him or gross for me for knowing it? Okay, Sarah has two, yes. Mark has three, <laughs> I have eight. All right, here we go. Back to the game. Bortara. Yes. He produced the TV show Sit Down Comedy with David Steinberg. Oh, God. He produced the TV show Sit Down Comedy with David Steinberg. David Brenner? Mm. The answer is David Steinberg. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) All right, Mark. Of course. I mean, uh, Sarah. In the mid-80s, bootleg VHS tapes of his television programs made their way across the Soviet Union, leading to a cult-like status in eastern Germany. David Hasselhoff. Finally! Yes! (laughs) Thank you, Picky. All right, Mark. This sketch and improv legend had a reoccurring role on Late Night with Conan O'Brien as, and then the clue stops, so I have no idea who he was as. I will add as a clue, uh, whammy. Oh, good. Well, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. David, anybody? Uh, no. No? From uh, Anchorman? Oh, oh, yes. David Koechner. There you go. That I said it. him earlier. You Damn did. it. That's why I thought you might get it. <laughs> All right. Back to Tara. Yep. In 1999, Bree Sharp released this song about a David. David Duchovny. David Duchovny, why won't you love me? Oh, I had that song. <laughs> oh, no, it's not playing now. Oh, uh, big boot. Right, hang on. I got to reboot. I got to. Oh, gotta, no. Not reboot. I got to restart this program. As long as you got, you captured Mark. Mark. T- sing it. Sing it. David Duchovny, why won't you love me? That's all I remember. But that was how the chorus went. Correct. <laughs> All right, sorry about that. All right, so we're on to Sarah. Yep. Despite a surprisingly long run on a Fox procedural, this David has still found time to act in direct DVD films such as Suffering Man's Charity and Officer Down. Surprisingly long Um, run on a Fox procedural. We lost you for a second there. All right. Okay. Uh, It's got to be David Boreanaz, right? It is. Okay. To Mark. This David yes. starred in the short-lived detective show David Cassidy, Man Undercover. David Cassidy. <laughs> Tara. Really? Yes. This David directed the following ad for the Ford Edge. You know, 
how quiet the Ford Edge is? I know that you know it's pretty quiet. It's library quiet. The Edge is library quiet. Beat the Lexus RS 350 in a quiet test. How do you win a quiet test? Uh, you've been very quiet. That's how Edge won a quiet test. Quieter than a Lexus. Quieter. True story. True story. Spirit of a sports car, versatility of an SUV, the all-new Edge. I can't think of any Davids that are directors that we haven't already said, so I'm going to say the wrong answer of David Chase. David Mamet. That's what I've gone with. Oh, well. Dang. All right, Sarah. Yep. This David recently told the Baltimore protesters to turn around and go back home. Oh, dear. (sighs) Did he really? Waps. David Simon. Correct. Not, a, not his best moment. No. Mark. <clears throat> yes. This David claims to be the only person on earth who understands how number wang works. <laughs> <laughs> That's number wang. <laughs> David Crumholtz. <laughs> Benson. Benson. <laughs> no, it's not Benson. David Mitchell. David Mitchell from the Mitchell and White Block. All right. Back to Tara. Yep. Ron Howard described his independently produced TV interviews with Richard Nixon as the first fourth network. David Frost. Sarah. Yeah. The Simpsons paid tribute to this belated David. What? Uh, That's not the right word. With its episode titled, A Totally Fun Thing That Bart Will Never Do Again. Paid tribute to this uh, late late David. David. Okay. Foster Wallace. Bring us into our next score break. Mark. Yahoo Answers claims that his infamous Shades of Justice are actually Silhouette Titan Minimal Art Model 8568S. <laughs> Shut up, Yahoo Answers. <laughs> I don't know. What? Think about it. <laughs> Shades Yahoo- of Justice? Shades of Justice, David TV. Uh... Sarah. Caruso. <laughs> CSI Miami. Oh, I, yeah, Mark I don't know. Mark reads a different internet from the rest of us. Okay, uh, Mark has four, Sarah has six, I have ten. All right, back to it. Okay. Ten questions left, I think. Nope, twelve questions. Okay. That makes sense. Final round. All right. Most of them are Daves. These Daves are either Davids or Daves, but beware, three of these Daves aren't named Dave at all. What? That's exciting. Okay. All right. Bortara. Yep. This David is such a jerk that he put his David at the end of his name. Um, Larry David. <clears throat> Sarah. Yes. He's one of only two people named David to ever play Bruce Wayne. Uh... uh... David Boxleitner. <laughs> David Mazuz? Mazuz. Oh, he's the, the he's on Gotham. On Gotham. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Dave Point, if anybody can name the other David who played Batman. So, excuse me, as a hiccup. David Stewart III. Yes. I was like, David Clooney? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mark. Dave Val Kilmer. This David was credited as a co-producer in the 1997 show Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. Oh, David Carradine. Correct. Nice. Tara? Yes. This David played Colonel Charles Winchester on the TV show MASH. Oh. It's David something something. I can't remember what it is. 
Is it David, David not Hyde Pierce? Is it David Ogden Stiers? That is nice. the correct answer. That was what yes. you were looking for. Nice okay, Sarah. Yo. He starred on an episode of Reno 911 as Sensual Masseuse. <laughs> Sensual Masseuse. Uh... David Crumholtz. <laughs> David, Wayne. Uh, David Wayne. Oh, there he is. There he is. Where okay. is Crummy? Crummy. Oh, I'm sure he's man. coming. Okay, Mark. After yes, a successful a stint at as Warner Brothers Batman scribe, this David was asked what DC property he would want to adapt for television, and he picked Constantine. Oh my God! I don't know. <laughs> David S. Goyer. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, that guy. Goyer. Okay, Tara. <laughs> yes. This David played George Washington in John Adams, as oh, discussed. Oh, as just discussed. Yes. David Morse. Correct. Nasally. Old tooth acting. Yeah. Okay, Sarah. <laughs> this David is credited with working with Neil Diamond in the 1999 film Lost and Found and with Kevin Hart on the 2003 Guy's Choice Awards, but he's never worked with S Club 7. What? Yep. <laughs> Dave Valanche. David Spade. Spade. All right, Mark, your second to last question. Yes. In a 2007 episode of House entitled Halfwit, he played an idiot savant who can play the piano despite massive brain damage. Music fans were shocked to discover he was playing a character and that he, in fact, wasn't brain dead. That's a little bit of editorializing, I think, from Mr. Felton. (laughs) Is this game like ever? It, this is the worst game for me ever. I, uh, Dave Grobin, <laughs> Dave Matthews. Oh, oh. No. all right, Tara, your last I question. I was thinking David Foster. Yes, this Doug mm-hmm. made an appearance on Friends with his memorable reading of the line, My mom calls it Bloomies. It's Doug Benson, but why is he in this game? Because there's three non-Dave questions in this round. Oh, okay, right. Gosh, Doug Benson is the answer. Sarah. What? This Olivia was recently named television's most powerful lady. This Olivia. Uh, Olivia Munn? Olivia, it's I'm going to be pissed. Olivia Benson. Doug Benson, God Olivia Benson. All right, Mark, concentrate. Yes. He was played <laughs> by Robert Guillaume. Oh, my God. Is this, is, is, was it, are all of the rivers of my life converging on this moment? <laughs> it's Benson. It's actually Benson. It's Benson. <laughs> and Picky gave you that question. I approve. All right, let's okay. hear those scores. Um, Sarah and Mike, uh, Mike, Sarah and Mark tied with six each. I and I have thirteen. All right, you know what that means. These are the Daves I know. I know it's time to catch in your Dave points. How many you got, Sarah? Oh, what? How many Dave points have you collected? Let's hear the accounting. Ever. Let's hear it. <laughs> I've been told you've been keeping track. 
13 and a half. Oh, that doesn't sound right at I'm all. I'm sure that's low. That doesn't sound right. That's got to be low. Tara, though. how many do you have? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I haven't kept oh, track. Oh, I'm very disappointed nobody's been keeping track like they say they were, so I can't award victory on Dave points like I planned to, so I guess... It's not the end of the season. Why are you... <laughs> He switched it up on us. <laughs> Sarah definitely has the most Dave. Well, too bad. I needed an amount <laughs> for the win. Tara. I would Could love it if game. someone out there has actually been keeping track. I now reset all Dave points to zero <laughs> because of your failure. <laughs> Nobody has any Dave points. Fine. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We discuss the road to RuPaul's Drag Race finale before going around the dial with stops at The Bachelorette, Nurse Jackie, Law & Order, Quickway Diner, and Casino Taxi. We took Mark's tiny Jeopardy triumph for $200 and denied the Wacky Deli episode of Rocco's Modern Life entry into the extra hot great canon. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Tara was crowned winners of this week's These Are The Daves I Know Game Time because nobody was really keeping track of their date points. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, I feel like you should have been keeping track of date points. Uh, that wasn't the bargain. Sarah D. Bunting. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> and Mark Blankenship. Or Benson. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time, right here on Extra Hot Great. Girl, get over yourself, because I've been over you since the moment you walked in. <laughs> oh, Sarah, I really you had, bad. I, you said you've been keeping track. I took you at your word. I was, but then I accidentally filed stuff. Like, there, there oh. are Dave points in the house. I just oh. have to go back through some files.